Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Pirie and Elizabeth Zhivkova. In this genuine and bold conversation with a street artist, art historian and activist Bahia Shehab, we discuss her ephemeral body of work in response to Arab Spring and beyond, where she relentlessly says no and a thousand times no to injustice and borders. Bahia speaks to us about the human collective response to the universal crisis, about refusing to remain lost in translation, about the idea of imposed narrative in the post-colonial world, and the lack of accuracy in interpreting Arabic culture and Islamic heritage globally. Hi, Bahia. Thank you so much for doing this conversation with us. Um, I will start with my first question. In one of your interviews, you mentioned that as an artist, you are more comfortable on the streets than in the gallery. Can you please tell us why communicating through urban environments and murals correspond better with you? I think I believe in accessibility of the art for the people. And I feel that galleries and museum spaces, especially in my part of the world, could be intimidating to a majority of the people who do not have access to them. Um, The galleries and the museums are important cultural spaces for dialogue, for documenting Uh, the journey of artists, for uh, building narratives, for um, an intellectual conversation to take place. But at the same time, uh, accessibility is also important. I know that with the internet, it's much easier to to share our work now, but artwork in the city has a different flavor because it affects the... It affects the way we feel about our city and how we belong to the city. So if you're going shopping and you come across a beautiful mural or a beautiful work of art, it it has the power of changing your mood or making you look at the world differently. And it's there. It's on the street. You don't have to make an effort to go find it or stand in a queue or pay a ticket. So to me, I'm more comfortable being on the street because... I would like art to be accessible to everybody. Thank you, Bahia, for this insightful answer. Um, you call your practice a historic documentation more than art. Can you please tell us how was the social and the political consciousness shaping and reflecting in you, uh, starting from the very beginning? Well, I'm originally... Um an academic, a researcher, and a historian. Um, and I, what initiated my practice was a project in 2011 that was, I mean, started in 2010 and uh, was uh, taken down in 2011, which is a thousand times no project. So for me, it was important to uh, look at history and try to um, envision a future that is relevant for us now. So I feel that my research informs uh, my practice and the other way around. So um, I always try to um, be inspired by history. Uh, There's always a great learning for us in history. And I feel 
it's a great way to inform our future. And sometimes when archives are lost, when a country is colonized, when, uh, when you lose your history, um, especially if you're in the diaspora, away from your country, away from your locality, you don't have the tools to access your history. And I feel that my practice can be a tiny part in bridging that, in helping heal what history has damaged by providing um, a simplified version of the information. Thank you, Bahia, for this insightful answer. Um, let's talk about art as a tool for change. What would be the most effective example of this expression in your practice? Can you tell us more about your work a thousand times no and how the idea became a part of a wider conversation? Uh, yes, it's... Uh, for me, the, a, a curator told me for a work of art to be recognized by the masses, it takes almost 10 years. And when he said that to me, I felt like, um, yeah, maybe... Why 10 years? Why does it take so long? And uh, I discovered that 10 years later, after I put out my A Thousand Times No um, in English in a European country as a statement against everything that was going uh, on in the world in terms of uh, the environmental damage that we are causing, in terms of human rights, in terms of the borders that we have built to uh, put ourselves in. Um, um, it was a statement that was displayed in a museum in Europe 10 years ago. And in 2020, it started becoming, uh, it started going viral as an artwork. Uh, and then the, the comment that the, that the curator made about, yeah, it takes 10 years, made sense. Uh, I think it's also the way we disseminate ideas and how culture takes time to trickle into uh, the lives of the everyday person. Uh, but the number was striking for me, the, the 10 years uh, part. So um, I don't think an artist can uh, really predict the impact of their work or, or uh, the relevance, because impact is always linked to relevance, right? It's uh, when you feel that uh, your work speaks for the people and not just at them. Uh, when you feel that the work is uh, relevant to their everyday life or it represents them in a way. And I think now in the lockdown and in the everything that we, are, we have been going through this year has been life-changing for all of us in, in different ways because having grown up in the civil war in Lebanon and lived through the Egyptian revolution, the concept of death was always present for me. It's an idea that could, you could die at any minute. You could get hit by a random bullet. You, anything could blow up. So to me, that concept was very present from an early point in my life. And I feel globally now, we are all feeling this, that we could die at any minute. And then you start shuffling your priorities and uh, really reconsidering, why are you living? What's the point of everything we're doing? And you see many people have uh, changed the way their outlook on life. They're stuck at home. We are forced to look ourselves in the mirror now. We are forced to really see 
who we are because there's no distraction. You can't, you can't go to a cafe, you can't go to the bar, you're stuck at home. And I feel that concept is, um, as a year, this pandemic, I know it has been catastrophic and the lives we have lost and the way it has uh, damaged the lives of so many people and um, affected the economy on one hand is one thing, but on the other hand, uh, the opportunity for us to slow down as humans running on this planet, uh, distracted by all sorts of um, things around us, I feel that the pandemic also gave us a chance collectively to slow down and to really think of what really matters. And, and uh, an example of that is what started as a Me Too movement globally. We have seen a, a great movement by young women in Egypt this past year against sexual assault um, and coming out and um, voicing their concern about sexual harassment and uh, the state of women in, in our part of the world and how can we improve that. And I'm really fascinated by the young women who are taking the lead, voicing out their opinion, standing up to uh, oppressors, collectively uh, denouncing harassers. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a very interesting year for, for all of us, I think. And the... You cannot, as an artist, be part of the conversation uh, in a forced way. I think this happens uh, organically. Following your thoughts on today's complex social political climate, what feels to you more important and urgent to express throughout your work? Is there something that you're working on at the moment that feels timely to you? I yeah yeah i think we've i kind of uh, danced around your previous question and kind of answered the second one uh i feel that my work i mean every project i take on is uh, relevant to me at the time and how i feel so it's always timely but to me maybe it becomes timely to others at a later point like the thousand times no i was feeling that 10 years ago i've i had enough like I was really fed up with all the bullshit that was going on uh, around me everywhere. So I created a thousand no as a statement against that. And to me at the time, it was relevant. And 10 years later, it has become relevant to more people. And during the revolution, it was relevant to people on the street in the revolution. Um, so I think our perception of timely is relative. It might be timely to you, but to me or to you now, and it might become timely to someone else 50 years later. So I try to, uh, in my practice, I just look, um, it's like somebody who's walking on a tightrope, and I try to take one step at a time carefully. Uh, I try to really feel what... Uh, what's not right in the world right now and i try to talk about it and um, not really projecting on the future or the impact or uh, how it will be perceived but i think honesty in art is also important 
As an art historian, uh, do you think there is a lack in reflecting or um, rather lack of accuracy in reflecting Arabic culture and interpreting Islamic heritage on global platforms? Uh, thank you for this question. It's, uh, it's a very good one. Uh, yes, <laughs> in short. <laughs> and this is why I, I do what I do. That's why I paint Arabic in Paris, in Tokyo, in New York on the street. Uh, to just um, clarify, to build a bridge, because we are bombarded by media that tell, that uh, communicate uh, Islamic extremism and that ha put a spotlight on uh, a part of my society that does not represent the whole. So I get questions like, um, do you ride camels? Do you live in tents? Still today, unfortunately. Uh, by people who are less informed, unfortunately, because this is what they see in the media. And this is uh, like, why are you not wearing a veil? Like, how come you're not veiled? And so people are very surprised when they meet uh, uh, people from my part of the world that are just like them, that have the same concerns, that have the same worries, because we are portrayed by media in a certain profile and this is what trickles into the mentality of everybody. So, and I feel like it's a big machine that we are trying to um, uh, negotiate or go around or uh, uh, be in discussion with or against or whatever stand we choose to. Um, it's just that how do we uh, represent our culture the way we see it? the way or the way we think it is from our point of view and not have others uh, fill in or dictate our narrative for us. I mean, colonial and post-colonial countries all suffer from that uh, uh, idea of forced narrative and imposed narrative. Uh, and I think it's now our turn to... Uh, represent our culture in a way and... This is the reason why we wrote the history of Arab graphic design, for example. The book was recently published, and it's the first book on the history of Arab graphic design uh, to be written. And I think this is part of the statement, of my statement and my colleague's statement as artists, designers, historians, academics, living in our part of the world, and saying this is our story, this is our narrative, uh, this is what we look like as designers in this part of the world. And this is our history because what a colonizer, that, so one of the uh, discourses of colonization is that um, is erasing history because then it becomes uh, easier to enforce a new narrative. So how can we as intellectuals in my part of the world uh, put a new, a parallel uh, narrative on the table and represent our culture in a new way. And I think this core idea, that's why I'm thanking you for the question, this idea drives everything I do. It drives my practice, it drives my research, it drives my artwork. It's how can I represent my culture in a new light to people who have been misinformed or are afraid to ask or have never had the opportunity to learn about my culture. 
So I think artists are bridges and they have the power of bridging cultures. Thank you, Bahia. Uh, we are about to finish, but before I let you go, um, I would like to take this opportunity and ask you about an incredible journey of a thousand times no work, as I know it. And since the work has been featured several times throughout our conversation, I think our audience would um, would love to know more about it, those who are not aware of the work. Thank you. It's a, I know I danced around it and <laughs> didn't answer it. Um, in 2010, I was invited by a curator to uh, participate in an exhibition at the Haus der Kunst in Munich uh, to commemorate 100 years of Islamic art in Europe. And the curator only had one condition. She told me I need to use uh, the Arabic script in my artwork. And as I said at the time, I was really fed up and I thought, what can I say to a European audience who doesn't know my language, who is not familiar with the beauty of my poetry. And I don't want them to be lost in translation, no matter what I say is going to be translated. So the thousand times no idea uh, was born. And, it, and I thought we have a saying in Arabic, when we want to say no, you say no and a thousand times no. So I started looking for a thousand different no's on everything produced under Islamic and Arab patronage over 1,400 years from Spain to China. And it's the same letter, but it's been written in different ways by different calligraphers in different dynasties, uh, in different geographies. And I started collecting these no-shaped letters and documenting them, stating the name, the patron, the history, and the date. And the book moves chronologically, so I collected them uh, in a book, and then I displayed a plexiglass curtain uh, that's uh, almost seven meter by three meter uh, for the opening of the exhibition in September of 2010. And the book sat next to that installation. And to me, when I first saw, because I had been working on the small nose and sticking a thousand nose on plexiglass, and then the minute it was hanging, it had the sense of empowering uh, to see a thousand letters. Just These were just one letter that were displayed so beautifully next to each other. And I was standing next to them and I felt like I had my whole history displayed in front of me just through this one beautiful letter that is also a letter of defiance that says no. And... Um, during uh, the artwork went down in January of 2011 and the revolution started in 2011 in Cairo. And then nine months later, after documenting the revolution and aggressively trying to capture history, I felt like when you have a historic moment in your life, you, you have to take sides. You have to either decide whether you participate and be part of this unraveling of history or you can just sit and, and watch as history happens. And this, the, the amount of injustice that I witnessed documenting the revolution made me feel like I have to say no and the no's are there. So I started taking a no from history and adding a message to it as if 
replying to um, an immediate fact in my city. So no to um, stripping the people with the, with the incident of the blue bra, no to burning books with the incident of burning the burning of a library. And I started taking these historic notes and taking them to the street and commenting on everything I wanted to say, no, no to killing, no to harassment, no to uh, uh, snipers. So it was an immediate reaction to what was going on during the revolution. And the stencils were a fast module for me to utilize on the streets in Cairo as a woman spraying is the fastest thing you can do three seconds and you're gone and, and i was really jealous from my uh, from the male uh, street artists because they could spend hours on the street painting painting these beautiful huge murals and all i had was a stencil and a spray can but to me that was enough because i felt like at least i'm honest i'm not hiding and i'm not um i'm not uh, just playing historian and documenting. To me, that was a more active role to play. And then to jump quickly in history after 2013, we were no longer, um, we don't have access to the streets in Cairo. I was in, invited to an exhibition in Freiburg, again in Germany. And I felt like I needed to revive the nose because, you know, I, I said no, but, and I thought that maybe it was enough and then you feel like maybe I will, till the day I die, I will keep saying no until everybody maybe gets it or not. And I and now I'm living with the fact that maybe I will die and we will never, some people will never get it, but at least I will die a happy woman because I have done my role. I can look myself in the mirror and not flinch. <laughs> so, so I looked at the nose and looked at us as a humanity and not just the revolution, what was going on in the revolution. And no to borders came out, no to extremism, no to discrimination, no to racism. And these were our human collective no's. It's relevant to all of us and not just to me. And those I started spraying in different cities. I started in Germany, then in New York, then in Vancouver, then in Tokyo. And now everywhere I go, I go down at night, I spray a no. <laughs> in the city for our collective humanity. Um, so I've documented this story in a book that is coming out for the 10 year anniversary of the revolution in January in Ginkgo Crest. Uh, because for me, all of this disappears. Graffiti is an ephemeral art. It disappears and it goes. And I wanted to preserve this story in a book so that I can tell it properly so that even if I'm gone, my artwork is gone, I, I am honest, and I can tell the story, uh, at least the story of the revolution, uh, it can live on. Thank you so much, Bahia, for this really genuine and thought-provoking and uh, such a touching and inspiring conversation.